river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through. We're back. Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr here. Joining me as always, Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? I'll live in the dream, buddy. Living the dream. Yeah, this uh, year has uh, gone by fast. Yeah, it has. Holy smokes, it is. It's almost Christmas. My three-year-old reminds me every day. She told me today, I love Santa. She's oh. so jazzed up about Christmas. It's uh, great. It's- it makes it so much fun. Oh, sure. dude, it's like being a little kid again. We got the elf on the shelf thing, and we got, oh, man, she's, she talked nonstop. She was sick last night. As we almost had to cancel this because she had a fever. I was at work, and, oh, man, we've been so busy. We haven't done a podcast in so long. I was, But miraculously, kids are so tough, man. They She had a 103-degree fever last night, and today she's just up and Talking about Christmas nonstop, so it worked out. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm getting pumped up. Um, I just ordered that there's a guy on Instagram. I want to give him a shout out. Uh, John Guggen Designs, I think that's how you pronounce I'm, it. It's, I'm sure you're pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm positive, right? I'm a hillbilly from Coos Bay. Uh, uh, G- so it's G U G I N. So. Yeah. However you, however you pronounce that. Uh, he's an artist out of, uh, I think it's, he's from British Columbia. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And he's got, uh, he's doing some prints. He just did a, um, Columbia blacktail print. And I'm a blacktail nut, so I had to order it. Uh, it's all, it's a sweet, sweet picture, man. It's, it's sweet. It's super sweet. And he kind of gave me a little teaser. That it's going to be, uh, this is the beginning of a collection. He's going to offer a black bear one next and a uh, Roosevelt elk and, um, steelhead. So he's got some really cool Pacific Northwest, uh, prints. If you're into that type of thing, uh, definitely give him a look. He's on Instagram. Um, also, you know, just would like to give a shout out to, uh, the guys over at Kafaro International. Uh, making super awesome backpacks made in America. Yep, we just did uh, that giveaway. Um, I just shipped it off last week, so apologies for the uh, late shipment to the winter because we've been really busy. I worked all week the week before that, and we had a lot of stuff going on, some family yeah, stuff. and A lot of catch-up. Yep, yeah. so we apologize that it's been a little bit. We're getting back on it now. We already... We already have cabin fever, even though we just got home from hunting. But so we'll be uh, we'll be getting back on it. So yeah, my apologies to the winner, but he yeah. should should be getting it about now. Um, we got a shout out for our uh, boy Andy Ponce and oh, uh, Mr. Carson Brown. Those guys are with Clay right now over in Idaho. Hopefully, uh, shooting some big bucks. Well, Carson got a doe yesterday, so boom. Sent me a picture. Good for him. Deer down. It's yeah, awesome. Self it's awesome. Self bow. Sherwood shafts. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, a big shout out to uh, our brothers and sisters at Compton Traditional, the national 
our national bow hunting organization, a national traditional bow hunting organization, I guess. Eh? Yeah. Yep. Correct. They uh, uh, they have just uh, put out their new calendar, and if you guys are looking for Christmas gifts, you can always sign up a buddy on there. Go to ComptonTraditionalBowHunters.com. Uh, Great Northern's doing an awesome bow giveaway, so if you refer a buddy, you get entered in there to win. So it's kind of like a present for your friend and a present for yourself. <laughs> and they <laughs> and they just came out. They got some sweet calendars. I need to get on there and order one of those. Yeah, uh, sweet. They got sweet, uh, really cool hats and patches, and they got all kinds of cool uh, gear so over there. Even if your buddy shoots a compound. Sign them up and get them a sweet Compton patch as a little hint. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like it, Bob. Yeah. I like there it. There you go. Yeah. And hey, TradQuest, we got, we got hats uh, on the website. Yeah. And another thing, um, we have a lot of those raffle tickets. We're trying to help TAO out and sell some raffle tickets. We're going to do the drawing at our banquet. Um, there's a maximum of 300 tickets. So you know you're going to have at least that many odds. You can buy as many tickets as you want, and it's a African hunt. I mean, the details are on our website. They're on uh, TAO as a terrible website, so I don't know if they're on there, but <laughs> probably not. But, uh, yeah, get on our website and and uh, get entered to win. The, they're, it's called Hunt the Sun, and one, yep. of the, one of our members has been over there a few times. Uh, Mr. Naradka, and he's like, they are awesome. And I talked to him personally at the Sportsman Show last year, and he said the the guy that runs it's super cool. If you want to kind of go out and spot and stalk and do like a real hunt, you know, it's not like a pinned Africa hunt sitting on a water hole. I mean, I'm sure they still do the blinds on the water holes, but I know a lot of guys kind of have like a little negative negative feel towards the Africa thing, and he said that that this is a super super good hunt so if you guys are interested just go on our shop page and scroll through there and um just click hunt the sun and should be able to pop it up i think the 20 bucks so get on there and support tao they're a awesome organization that's uh doing some good things that's going to benefit all the traditional bow hunters here soon you'll see so there are they 20 bucks a ticket yes okay well more than worth it um yeah again another uh, yeah present for yourself for christmas yeah absolutely um also i'd like to give a shout out to uh, rod jenkins over at safari tough he sent me a really cool uh, safari tough quiver i've been playing with that thing i'm definitely a bow mounted quiver guy but i do like it when it's blistering rain out i was out shooting yesterday in the rain and it is nice to have a place to keep your uh, feathers dry yeah if i um, was uh if i was still hunting blacktails like i used to i would probably I would do one of two things. I would get used to one of those quivers or yeah. I would call Trent and have him hook me up with a elevated rest and actually shoot veins. Cause it is right. such a pain when you're hunting blacktails all the time because it just rains. And if it's yeah. not raining, it was just raining and the brush you're walking through, everything's soaked. And I mean, I had a pretty good system with my Ziploc bag and feather drive. But be nice to not have to deal with it. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was out shooting in the rain yesterday and even keeping my feathers dry, you know, just shooting, um, they, they just, just get soaking wet. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it rains, it rains freaking elephants and rhinoceros is out here in Oregon. It's ridiculous. Yes, that's for sure. So yeah, we got a uh, Christmas coming, steelhead fishing. I've been out, I went out and got my hook wet yesterday. 
Um, they are just starting to, to move up. A couple guys are catching them, so I'm getting excited about some steelhead fishing. And uh, shoot, I I'm a crappy elk hunter, which means I uh, get to hunt elk again. I have a January uh, bull elk archery tag, uh, January 5th to the 20th. So I'm kind of kind of excited to get out there and stretch my legs and pound the big timber and see if I. It's going to be a really tough hunt. But yeah. it'll be a it'll be fun to get out and stump shoot and scout and who knows anything yeah. could happen. Anything could happen. That's for sure. So I uh, wish I still had a tag. I never even bought a Oregon tag this year. I should have put that in for second choice or something. Yeah, man. My so. wife wouldn't be too hot on me taking off down there. I used up all my time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to the listeners, once again, we'd like to thank you guys for all the support. Uh, go ahead and send us an email if uh, there's something on the show that, uh, you, you know, someone you'd like to see on the show or any kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, advice you have for us. Uh, we're more yeah, than we, willing to. <laughs> we got a good one last week. Somebody was correcting James on pronouncing some words. I can't remember, but it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever, did you ever get on there and see that, James? No, I didn't uh, see that, dude. but. And I, uh, yeah, it was funny. I don't know. I mean, because I, I roasted him. But yeah, anything like that. If if uh, we got a tick that's annoying you, let us know. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll do our best. Yeah, well, we I mean, I think so. I think guys get used to hearing guys from the south, or they get used to hearing guys from the Midwest. But not too many people hear Coos Bay lingo. It's just <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little different. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I, I come from. Uh, I come from the Oregon coast and we, we have a different education system out here. So <laughs> you guys will just have to that's, bear with you, me. Yeah. You guys that hear the coasty comment, that's if you're from Oregon, you know what that means, but I guess everybody else in the country and everywhere else that listens to this doesn't understand what it is, but it's just, yeah. they're, they're a little different. So we, we take, call it the coo. We call it, they call it the coos. So take it, take it, take it easy on poor James over there. It's okay. <laughs> I got thick skin. Uh, but yeah, we, so we have an absolute stud on today as always try yeah, to get man. some absolute studs on here and, and Jake Powell is, uh, definitely one of them. Yeah. From the mile high state, Colorado. He's taken the Colorado big eight four, four times. times with his, uh, with a stick bow. He's trying to do it right now with a self bow, but he says he'll probably never draw another sheep tag. So. We kind of jumped around a lot and just shot the crap with him. He's done so much, like we've said on these before, it's hard to hard to concentrate on one thing. So we talked about a lot of different things, and we'll have have to have him back on. He's got a lifetime of stories, and he's just he's what? How old did he say? He was seventy three or something? Yeah, and he's and just the... a beast. He's doing P ninety X and walking every day, and killed a mountain goat last year, and he's just a stud. Like 17 miles in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> goals. Yeah. Those are some goals right there. Goals, dude. Goals. <laughs> one other thing we we did talk about a lot on this this one. We talked a little bit about the compounds and all that, you know. And uh, he brought up some good points on it. And I think it's good that that you guys know we we try to bring up the stuff that other people don't talk about. <laughs> There's so many hunting podcasts and everybody's just like immune that thinks that 
there's nothing going on out there and we're not we don't try to bash the compound guys like i said we we hunt with those guys we're buddies with tons of them but we're just trying to bring up you know if the questions that need to be asked we feel like right now you know is it limiting opportunity is there things we can do and that's why we're trying to get some more of these traditional seasons and but he brought up some good points on you know the the benefits that it has but you know done to hunting it's brought in a lot of a lot of new hunters that wouldn't otherwise uh have came and we selfishly want it to be like it was in the good old days and we interview all these old guys that had the good old days and he you know he's like it's kind of selfish of us to try to keep it to ourselves so that was a good point and he said for him being a guide also he's like i'd rather have him shoot one of the wheel bows you know because these guys most of them have a lot of money they don't have time to practice you know so they knew they could hit them so you know good points i mean what do you think about all that james yeah i mean it makes sense from a guide standpoint yeah uh to have all those uh uh, you know, compound has a lot of uh, back, you know, you got the the back wall and uh, your peep and your sight. You can just line so many things up. Um, so when you're under pressure, um, I mean, I can see uh, it's definitely uh, it's a killing machine, right? The compound yeah. bow. It brought a ton of guys into archery. Um, and so that perspective of it um is definitely uh, something that, you know, a guy should look at. And I think that I wouldn't have been here if it weren't, you know, for it. I mean, I think you, you bring guys in and, and the guys that have that in their DNA that want it to be more rewarding, more challenging. And, uh, it's an evolution. Yeah. And, and, there, and we have to understand that there's, there is positives and negatives, you know, right. There's, there's those positives we just talked about. The negatives are there is overcrowding. You know, there's a ton of people. There's, you know, they're out in the woods. Bow hunting has changed. Like we can't, we can't ignore those things either. And so what do we do as hunters and conservationists to, to do what's best for our wildlife? Like we don't know, you know, we're not, we don't claim to be experts on it. We have ideas that we think are right. <laughs> Traditional seasons, but, uh, but man, we we love talking about that kind of stuff. That's kind of is our passion. So, um, anyway, just thought it. And, and, and I we like had a, we had a discussion about it, and I thought it was good. It brought up some. It brought up a different point for us too. You know, like yeah, that is true. You know, like we we do understand that side also. But, um, you know. Yeah, and for the listeners, you know, you might catch us. You you might hear us talking about traditional only, um, traditional only seasons. Um, we we talk about that a lot and those we those seasons we have a few of those here and we're fighting for more of them and that isn't to take away from uh our other hunters uh with with rifles and muzzle loaders and compounds we're just looking to uh have areas for traditional bow hunting only because well we're we're looking to use it more as a management tool you know like like uh we said some of the negatives with the the compound and getting more hunters into it is out west you know we don't have unlimited whitetails running all over you know it's it's a different world than i think a lot of guys have back east you know we don't get to shoot a deer a day you get you know you get one one shot a year usually and and uh and if and when it gets to a point where which you know, we're doing a lot of talking to biologists and, and stuff that's going on in Oregon, you know, because 
anyway, we've got a lot of stuff going on. And, and before they start controlling more, you know, like limiting the tags and all these draw systems and preference points and all these hunting licenses you have to buy, like we want them to see that, okay, before you say, okay, we have to cut the tags in this area, let's keep it general and, you know, use this lesser weapon. You know, like let's let's use it for an advantage, right? I mean, that's kind of where where we're going with it. So. Yeah, and that's what I was. I guess that's what I was trying to allude to, Bob. Was we're not trying to isolate ourselves, so we have these little seasons for ourselves, so we can go and and click our hills and have the woods to ourselves. That that is not the message. The message is we want to create traditional only seasons, so that we can introduce traditional archery to the masses. So there's an incentive for a guy to learn how to use a good old-fashioned bow and arrow and give him an opportunity to go hunting. And these opportunities, I think, are going to become more available because you are limited to a skill set. And so since you have to obtain that skill set, you can't purchase it, you can't buy it at the pro shop. It's going to create opportunity for, for everybody. Anyone that wants to pick up that skill set and uh, go out into the woods and, and go hunting. And yeah. so that's what I love so much about uh, these traditional only seasons and the possibility of having them is it's creating uh, an opportunity to get into the woods with maybe a little less pressure. And that's yeah. pretty much it and, in a nutshell. And, you know, we we in Oregon also, like we have some serious issues with our wildlife you know we have predators that are you know out of control we got the outlawed the mountain lion you know hunting with hounds for lions and bears 20 years ago we got wolves now that we'll probably never be able to hunt you know like we have a lot of issues you know and and so we have areas that we grew up that are just it's tough and for us to be sportsmen and and drive through an area 25 miles in fresh snow that you used to go blacktail hunting and track deer all day and not see a deer track to not like take some of it on ourselves and say, Hey, what, what can we do here? You know, like there's something that we should do as sportsmen instead of just keep killing everyone, you know, like there, there's something we can do. So, yeah. Uh, and, and we had that discussion, you know, in our group, you know, we have a group that's working on all this stuff and we had that discussion the other night and it was like, well, if, if it was like it was 20 years ago and there was still a million deer running around up there, like then we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be trying to do, you know, it'd be fine. Like, okay, well, fine. I don't, you know, like let's, everything's working fine, but when it's not working fine, let's not just pretend it still is. Let's, let's do what we can as sportsmen. And if that means like limiting our opportunity, you know, I'm a hunter and I think most people that listen to this podcast are hunters and they like to go hunting every year. I like to take my daughter. I like to go for me. It's always been a family thing. You know, I like to go hunting with my, you know, my brother or my dad and my nephews and, and cousins. And, and, you know, I love, I love that experience, you know, to be able to go out and say, all right, well, I'm going to go hunt tomorrow. And, and call up a buddy or, or a, my brother and, oh, yeah, okay, I got the day off too. Let's roll, right? Well, the more of these controlled hunts we have and the more of these limited tags, like the less of that starts happening and the less the less families grow up doing that. And I think that is super detrimental to what we got going on, you know, in the West for bow hunting. So 
Anyway, I just yeah. wanted to touch on that a little and, bit and, because and and it's been a it's I shouldn't say proven, but it's shown to have uh, positive. Um, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for here, uh, but with the Trout Creek Mountains, we have a, a traditional mule deer hunt where the deer were well below management objective, and they turned it into a traditional only hunt. And uh, the deer are doing great there now. Yeah, and, and so and, and as a as a side note, the deer are not doing great anywhere else in Oregon. <laughs> like right. for real, like it's no joke, man. It's the deer are having a rough time. And we've, like I said, we've been talking about just. I mean, the other day you talked to one, and they're having, you know, they're wondering why elk in a certain unit, the population is way up. Like they're like, we have tons of elk, but the bull to cow ratio is in the tank. And he said. It's because of bow hunting. Bow hunting. He's like, that's. I mean, that's that's what they have tracked it to. They've been doing research on it. Like, bam. You know, you get some of these units in Oregon. You'll have, you know, and that's just the people who filled out the survey and didn't fib about it. You know, like that's just honest people filling out the survey. You'll have twelve, thirteen hundred people, you know, bow hunting in their popular units in Oregon. I mean, it's just a zoo, and. And they're, they know that and they, they are understanding what it's doing to the, the population and they're, and we're trying to get in there before they, like I said, before they control it all. Like, you know, it's, it's a touchy subject, man. We get a lot of heat from it, I think. And, and, uh, I just want everybody to know we're not just these crusties out there that, that hate everybody. We're just trying to make it better. So. Yeah. Making bow hunting better. That's a, a big goal of ours with this podcast. And uh, we just want everyone to have opportunity and we want to see uh, healthy populations of wildlife uh, available for many generations to come. Exactly. I want my daughter to be uh, as excited about it 30 years from now as I am, you know, and uh, I don't think that'll happen if it's on the current path, unless you're rich. Nope. Because if you're so, rich, if you're rich, this is, don't let me get on another tangent, but if you're rich, you can just, you can bypass all that BS and you can just go hunt wherever you want and life's private good, right? Ranches. It's like, yeah. it's so, it's so, you know, I was talking to my brother the other night about it. You know, we were having a discussion and it's like, you know, we love chasing elk and mule deer, you know, like, and we like to be able to hunt some big bulls, you know, not like we kill a ton of them or anything, but it's always you know, like anything, it's kind of like a progression. You always want this American dream bigger and better. But we're like, we're, we're literally, we're just regular working guys and we're getting priced out of it. Like, it's kind of the way it goes. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, even applying for all these tags, it takes a hit, you know? Yeah. And, and if we can kind of limit, start limiting maybe our methods of take a little bit to get some of those opportunities back up, I think, uh, I think it'll help. Or we can just become outline hunters. That's my, that's what I'm talking about. Now you're speaking my game. <laughs> Screw the elk. It's time to stop hunting elk and start tracking lions. We gotta get, we gotta get Renfro back on. He'll get me all fired up again. Yeah, that's gotta, that's gotta happen. Yeah. Well, anyway, sorry. You to, guys are gonna, sorry you guys to are ramble gonna on. Us. Yeah, we're gonna rant, we're gonna rant and rave on this kind of stuff and, and, um, we just want you guys to, tr we're trying to figure out a way to, for you guys to understand it. I know the guys back in the Midwest, 
have a hard time understanding it because um, they have such a, uh, a great population of animals to go after. Um, but that's it's just, uh, I guess, the way it is out west. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a little different. So bear with us. Bear yeah. With- Jake. Yeah. And, and uh, Jake Powell, he seems like uh, quite the surgeon with the self bow. I hope you guys enjoy. We definitely appreciate you taking your time out to come on here. Uh, yeah, I good. don't know what, what you want of me, but I'll just sit here and talk from your questioning, I think. Perfect. Okay. So I did a little bit of, uh, a little bit of digging up and I had noticed, um, that it looks like you and your wife have been doing some guiding for some time? Yeah, we guided for about 20 years. Uh, just, just her and I, she, she wrangled the horses at camp and kept camp alive and, and I'd take the hunters out. Yeah, but we'd keep our, uh, our numbers down. There was one time we took four in a camp, but that was, only because they could prove to us they could kind of take care of themselves a bit too, but we did fully guided. Uh, and you were doing that in just the state of Colorado. Yeah, we we did it in uh, the there's a special unit in Colorado, Unit 76, which is a limited elk unit, one of the more coveted ones, and we had uh, uh, several corridors in that in that that unit, and so. We we had a lot of fun. Uh, it was pretty easy to get our bulls. Mostly it was bull hunting. I have taken. I, I did. I did some sheep hunting, uh, guiding uh, out of the unit over in the Sangre Cristos. Uh, a couple of bow hunters and one rifle hunter kind of thing, but uh, Sal wasn't involved in that. Okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got started in traditional archery, where you're from? Okay, well, there's a long story. Uh, I'm 73 years old. So, but uh, anyway, my life started in uh, Cardiff, South Wales, England, during the war. My dad met my mother over there and uh, married her, and, and I was born there in 1945 right at the end of the war and uh interesting aspect of it was the the government was shipping all the war brides home on on you know, indiv- you know all of them would be like on one ship and uh, uh the, the ship that they were putting my mom and i on uh hit a hit a mine in uh, uh close close to England and my dad thought we were on it and we weren't they they actually didn't get us on that one and they got us on a a later one so we didn't sink but uh on the way across the military decided they needed to take the babies away from the mothers and take care of them and a lot of the babies died because they were trying to feed them you know, military food and stuff like that. And I don't know where all that came from, but the, the mothers uh, rioted and got their kids back, and a few of us lived and made it over. But uh, that's how I got to the United States. Wow. wow. Uh, and uh, my my archery starting 
it was long it was not not long after that i've got a picture of me i i do a i do a seminar on uh self on on building self bows and working with the wood and stuff and my first picture is me four years old holding a a piece of willow my mother tied a string to each end and uh I'm there with my cousins and my siblings and and I'm sitting there holding this this Little self bow I built when I was four, <laughs> so <laughs> I've been I've been shooting a bow for a long time. But the guy down the hill from me, underneath me where I lived, we lived in Creed. And I still do. That's where my my family name came from was uh, ancestry out of Creed. From but anyway, uh, there was a guy under the hill below me that shot archery. He was an older man. And every time he broke an arrow, he would shoot it up into the bush and the shrubbery underneath my house. So every day I was out there looking for those broken arrows. I can still remember the day when I'd find one. I was so excited. But uh, uh, that's how I got my first arrows. So you would just but, shorten yeah. them and mend them? And... Well, they were, they were wood, of course, and he'd break one and... And uh, so he'd just shoot. I don't know if he knew I was gathering them or if he'd just getting it out of his vicinity. You know, he'd shoot them up in the brush above me there, and I'd, I'd every day I'd be out scratching around there, see if there's a, a new arrow out there for me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but it, our town was really an archery town. It was a very small town. Uh, it was a mining camp town and uh at one time it was you know around 2000 people back in the old old days of the early 1800s but uh or uh early 1900s late late 1800s it but by the time all that settled out and just went into normal mining practices uh we were down around 350 uh year round in the town so it was a pretty small town and there was one fellow there named Dick Lehman, and he was a friend of of Howard Hills and 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 some of the others. I can't think of their names, uh, but he was really into archery, and and he he brought it to our town, and everybody got into it. I mean, there was no TV back then, you know, so we just uh, all get together and go shoot. In the winter, we we all get together and go play hockey on the ice and gather up every person in town that we could get out there and eat chili and drink hot chocolate and play hockey. The the the, the parents our parents would anyway. But anyway, that's how I got into archery, and it hung on. Uh, I never got over it, and I'm still having troubles with it now. <laughs> <laughs> so. You've seen a lot of uh, things come and go and a lot of things change, uh, I suppose, yeah. when it comes to bow hunting. Um, I'd love to maybe dive into that a little bit. Sure. Well, and I'm sure you're insinuating, you know, the advent of the compound and all that. Uh, I didn't think too much of it when it started. And I had a friend in Arizona I used to go down and hunt with. And he really got into it. He was a bow dealer, too. And he got me a when, when Jennings finally got some bows out. He got me one. Uh, 
it was uh, the, one of the four-wheelers. And uh, I shot it for a year, and and then I just I, I didn't like it. I, I went I went back to my my traditional. But at that time, I wasn't too worried about that bow. But later on, I started getting worried about you know the you know it, I got selfish. They just put so many more archers in my woods and things like that. But but now I've, I've gotten over all that. I never did fight against them. I, I was I was a board member on the Colorado Bowhunter Association and and different things. And we just you know we never did uh, go against them. Uh, we're definitely against the crossbow, and still are. But uh, uh, I, I I had animosity towards it for sure. But uh, uh, I never held it. It's um, I got over it. And so so why, I did shoot one for a little while. Why did you? Uh, what do you think made you not stick with the compound? You know, I mean. Well, as I remember, I was carrying it through the woods one day, and I just thought, "God damn, this is a this is a hog of a piece of material," and I I really don't enjoy it. I don't, I wouldn't even out you know when you're when you're when you got your longbow or your recurve out there you're plunking arrows all day. I never did that with that kind of thing. I just it was just I don't know. It just it just didn't seem to fit. And so I gave it to my brother-in-law and, and moved on to what I what I like to do now and and it was very very happy with that. I I when I, when I caught myself out in the woods later on with my longbow, I was going, wow, yeah, this is it. This is what I want. This is what makes me feel close to the earth and, and you know, it, the other thing just didn't fit for me. How was it as a, as a bow hunter, uh, and a guide and seeing the modern hunting, you know, the modern, archery tackle and uh yeah. all these new battery operated devices uh how how has that been uh for a guy like you who's come from well well for 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 me it was actually i'd rather have my hunters with that stuff you know because it's you know we had less chance of losing animals you know they were they were much better shots with that kind of stuff uh most of them are little more wealthy than most so they're they don't take the time to practice like i assume you guys and i you know to get good with just tr- simply traditional stuff i have taken traditional hunters i I tell you a story about one uh, in a while but uh it, they uh i i would rather have it the only problem i had with the gadgetry was i was against that opening broadhead when it first started because I had a fellow shooting one uh, and uh, he hit the bull dead center so it went through the liver and we didn't get the bull to the next day and all there was 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 the hair was cut real bad on the inward side but we had a we had a bullet hole clear through the liver and out the other side so I was totally against those, and I'm sure they've, you know, gotten much better and everything. But I never let any of my hunters have them. Uh, I preferred they use a, a double edge, actually, right. if, if they would. But most of them, you know, they wanted the more fancier heads. 
So, yeah, in, in, in the electronics, uh, Colorado kept them out. The, the, the Division of Wildlife, or DNR, kept them. They couldn't use lighted sight pins and different things. But uh, so I, I never had any problems with it in my outfitting part. Only thing is, it was just a bigger bow to try and carry into camp. And like you said, it, it definitely brought more people to the woods, right? Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. And uh, so, but you know, we, yeah, we can't is, have it all to ourselves. I know it's 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 like a selfish thing, you know. Like you said, yeah. You're, you're like, no, we don't want it to be easier. We don't want anybody else out there, but. At some point, yeah. you have to realize too, you know, like if there's those little things yeah. that that help numbers to a point where it's, it's definitely a different way to look at it. So, well, it uh, sure helped our membership in our, our, our Colorado Bow Hunters Association, you know, and then and us traditionalists have got our own, you know, uh, well, as you probably already know, the Colorado Traditional Bow Hunter Society and in Comptons and all that, you know, we've got our our place. Uh, for sure. Absolutely. I still, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the equipment, uh, your equipment, and how that has evolved, because I know you're a big self-bow guy. Um, mm-hmm. Did you, did you kind of work from the, the recurve? You know, tell us maybe how you evolved to where you're at now. Well, we you know, we started out with longbows pretty much, because that's what was there, and then they started building the recurve, and, as kids, we couldn't afford that, so we shot longbows constantly. Our parents got a recurves, and on and on. And when I got old enough, I was trapping. Uh, I was in my early teens, and there was another fellow by the name of Ernie Wilkinson, and you may have heard his name from other speakers. Uh, he was a big bow person in our area down in the San Luis Valley, which is a much larger area than up here. But uh, he 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 was always instrumental in getting our archery seasons. He'd go to the DNR and talk to him about it. He was instrumental in getting our first elk season and all that. But anyway, he would let me come in each year with a bobcat, and he would give me a new red wing hunter because so, I was progressing, you know, in weight. I needed more weight. And I guess he could see that this is one we want to keep going. So every year I'd bring him a bobcat. I also sold him bobcats, but I, I could give him one for a new red wing hunter and turn my old one in. And so that was what I, how I started uh, getting bows on my own anyway and going on. And then a fellow, his name was Pete George. He built uh, Timberline Longbows, and he took class from John Schultz. And they become good friends, and he started building bows, and and he heard of, he lived over here in Lake City, which is just about 50, 40, 50 miles from me here. He was a California boy. He's from the, from the uh, 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 oh heck, what's the desert in California? Mojave. Uh, yeah, Mojave. Yeah, he was from from the town of Mojave. But he'd moved here, and anyway, he'd heard about me, so he came over to see me, and we got talking, and he says, "I want to make you a longbow." It's so far out, and so I never really went back to the recurve. I did have. You know, in the interim between Red Wing Hunters and that, I, I did get, you know, the bear takedowns and, and, and all that. I did a lot of backpack hunting. But uh, anyway, Pete got me lined up 
with a longbow, and, and just about every year he'd build me a new one, and I did a lot of things. I took the state record whitetail with one of his longbows that held for like a you know, state record gun bow, anything for I think it was over 20 years. Wow. And, uh, uh, and, and, and right now it's just a little air in the horns that makes it any bigger. <laughs> so it was a pretty good critter. What, what, uh, what, what did the, what was the official score on that buck? It was a non-typical and he scored two twenty nine and seven eights. Two twenty nine seven eights, yeah. Uh, Marv boy. Marv Clinky scored it, and he says, "God dang!" He says, "I could have got an eighth inch anywhere. I don't know why the hell I didn't do that." <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, uh, oh, yeah, that was then. That was in eighty six, I think, or eighty five. Can you, can you tell us about uh, that hunt? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a hunt my wife and my wife hunted with me back then. She doesn't anymore. She she tells me nowadays the only reason I did it was for you. But anyway, we was I was into getting all eight game species in Colorado, you know, with a bow and I'd I'd already done it once and I was about about ready to get it twice, but I needed a whitetail. So we drew in eastern Colorado, my wife and I drug our little sheepherder trailer out there and and uh we had a we had a kind of a tree stand i had a my friend from arizona had built this 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 it was just a pod you stick on the side of a tree and put your bottom on but anyway we had that so i rigged that up for her and uh because while we were going scouting through there i saw a nice buck scraping right where there where i put her so i put her there and so i went on down and i found a big cottonwood that i could crawl up in so i did i crawled up in it and uh, the very first morning, uh, a doe comes flirting by me, and uh, and she's, you know, just right, comes right around. But I have to, when I heard her coming, I have to stand up and turn around to see, because I couldn't have sh- shot out that way unless I did that. And I heard her coming, I see her, and she's coming down through, and she went right by me, and I thought, wow, that would have been a good shot. And I watched and watched. There was didn't seem to be a buck following her, so I sat back down, got myself positioned in the wrong direction again, and crunch, crunch naturally. And I looked back and hear this monster's coming. And I, I've, I mean, and I, I've got some moments to get spun around, get up, get my shot off, and 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 he was just right under me, and I nailed him. Perfect. He he whirled grunted and fell over and that was the end of the hunt <laughs> <laughs> i went wow. walking back to trailer and sal said she saw me leaving the stand early she says oh he must have shot something and i didn't tell her about it and i said yeah it's a pretty nice buck i got my my second eight anyway and so we started driving out there to pick him up and you could see the horns way the hell out there in the grass he's my God, is that it? <laughs> yeah. uh, why don't you yeah. tell us uh, about the Colorado Big Gate for the folks that don't know? Well, the, the Colorado bow hunters have a, a, a thing called the Big Eight, and it's it, it's both deer, so that's two. It's elk, that's three. It's bear, that's four. It's lion, that's five. It's bigghorn. That's six. It's 
uh, mountain goat, that's seven, and antelope would be eight. And so they always had it so you didn't didn't matter if you took a doe, a fawn, or whatever, you could count it. I never did that. I always killed male animals for my count. And uh, people used to get a little uppity about that, like I was trying to be uppity to them, but uh, that's the way I did it. And right now I've got all eight four times. Four times. Yeah. So you're probably just uh, chomping at the bit to get your hands on a a desert bighorn sheep tag like Marv Klinky there. Yeah, yeah. And then that's – so I I actually – I'm going to have to back up because I'm counting a U U bighorn. I've I've already killed four bighorns, but I drew another bighorn tag this past year for my fourth ram, and I didn't get him. But I was wanting to do it all with a self-bow anyway. I kind of stopped my, my last four big eight and started over with the self-bow. And uh, now that I didn't get my ram, I'll never get another chance at a ram tag in Colorado, so I'm not too worried about it anymore. Sure. But I did get my goat. I got a goat tag this year also. And I got, you- I got a nice nice billy in the the Sheep Foundation, Rocky Mountain Sheep Foundation, is going to do a big article on it because the only person that's ever taken four billies in the state by any means. So that would be kind of cool. Wow! So you got you had the uh, bighorn and uh, goat tag this uh, past season. Yeah, I drew the goat tag, and then about time for seasons to open, I got a call from the Division of Wildlife saying. Hey, you're next in line. Somebody just turned in the ram tag. Do you want it? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I hadn't now. I wish I would hold off because I kind of pressured myself into that one, and and I didn't get him. But uh, it was in the Sangre de Cristos, which is a pretty difficult hunt. Sure. So, so um, you said you do a lot of backpack hunting. Um in That's Colorado. what I mostly, yeah, I had, you know, I have horses because I was an outfitter. Right. But uh, a lot of times, well, for the goat and the sheep particularly, but, uh, and I've went, you know, uh, out elk hunting and then come back and get my horses to go get the elk out kind of thing too. But, uh, yeah, my wife and I used to backpack hunt a lot. But, uh, uh like, like I'm saying now, I says, shit, all my friends are too old or they're dead. I ain't got nobody to go hunting with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to outlast them, I guess. I guess. Well, I try and stay in really good shape so I can keep going. Like, uh, what what do you do to, to stay in shape? Well, it's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I do, well, actually, I do that P90X thing. I've been doing it for years. No kidding. And I walk every day, but I I do the yoga, everything. Uh, wow. And uh, it everybody says, God, you don't look like you're 73. So I guess it's working. And, and the goat, the goat hunt, my nephew went on me, went 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 with me on it. And from where we got the goat and got him uh, boned boned out and caped. It was six hours to camp that night, 
And then the next day, it was nine hours with the goat and camp getting to the truck. So evidently, I'm in fairly good shape. <laughs> I would say so, definitely. Yeah. So what? Uh, what but species? But if it wouldn't been for my nephew Jay Lopop, I could I, I would have been days and days doing all that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Uh, what species does it for you the most? I mean, if there's one species that you uh, bighorn, bighorn, the, yeah, the one, yeah, the one you can't hunt often. Yeah, the one I, I won't be able to do again, but that's okay. Yeah, I um, got my I got my chances. I have my share. Yeah. We need to get more states to put in archery bighorn hunts. Colorado's the only one that has archery yeah. only bighorn hunts. That's why all you guys from Colorado have all hunted sheep a lot <laughs> yeah. of several times. The rest of us, we yeah. oof, we got to apply with the rifle hunters. We never draw them. Yeah, I know it. Well, you know, when I first started, we didn't have it, and uh, then then we got it. I took one, my first ram in a rifle area, but it was so long ago, you could draw them about every other year, uh-huh. you know. But uh, yeah, now it's, even for archers, it's hard to get a license. I had, uh, I don't know, I think I had five weighted, so that's eight years, you know, for a resident. But, so, well, in so my. It's got a lot of licenses. Yeah. 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 So, um, Minus the bighorn, how about a species that you're able to hunt every year? What are you more of a deer guy, elk guy, bear? What are you? Uh, what are you into? Well, I'm known for my elk because of you know I hunted you know called so many for folks, but uh, I guess I don't know which one is any better. If I was talking to you 15, 20 years ago, I'd say. Wild hogs in Texas, but now that's going to be old hat. <laughs> but uh, I like bucks, I guess. I like bucks. Either way, whitetail or, or mule deer. Yeah. Because you just don't always – an elk, you're pretty much going to get him, you know. But the, the, the deer, they're a little bit tougher. Yeah, sure. you – you can see a good bull, and, and he gets away. You might see him again. Sometimes he's good yeah. bucks. You get away, and you never see him again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you you alluded to elk calling. Um, has calling always been your strategy for elk, and has it has it uh, evolved or changed over the years? Yeah, it has. I started a long time ago. My my ancestors owned a ranch. In, uh, they homesteaded in this country. And my great uncle Roy, uh, he pretty much was my mentor when I was a kid, and uh, he got me into horses and and what to do in hunting. But I used to go out with him. He called through his hands, and this was back before people called. And we would go out in September and hike around, and and he would blow through his hands and make. Didn't sound quite like an elk, but it it worked. And we would call elk, and I started learning it. And I, he also taught me that you could, you know, that, that they're really not, you know, sensitive to you being there unless you're moving. And, and we would go out, and I'd stand behind his, I was just a little over his knees tall at the time, and I'd look through his legs, and I'd hold on to his pants. And we'd, we'd, we'd spot a bull out feeding, and we'd start walking to it. And when it'd lift its head, he'd stop. And I'd be standing, and he said, no, don't move, don't move. And the bull would go to feed him, we'd walk a little further. 
and we walked, you know, not right up to the elk, but he kind of taught me, you know, started teaching me about, you know, what it takes for an elk and what it doesn't take, you know. But uh, so. So it doesn't yeah, take. It's been a long full, time. So yeah. it doesn't take full matching camouflage. No, I never. I, I haven't been into camouflage very much. I kind of had it and didn't have it, but mostly I just wear drab. You know, mostly wool. But you're talking about the calling thing. When when we were in junior high, they made us play a musical entrance, and they and they made me play a thing called the tonette, and it, and the, the whistler part popped out of it, and I put that in a hose one day and flowed on it and went, oh my god, the elk are in trouble, <laughs> and from that point on, it it has been, and you know, and then it's developed into the diaphragm and all that. But I call a lot of elk with that thing. Back then, they made a call out of just a rubber, piece of one-inch rubber, and put a little slit in it and then carved down a plug that you could blow across that slit and it'd make a squeal. But you couldn't control, you couldn't make any ups and downs with it. But with that tonette whistle, you sure could. I carried that for a long time. I had it until they come up with the diaphragm. Wow. So has bugling been the main go-to for vocalizations and calling an elk, or you use utilize cow calling also? Or bugling mostly for me. Uh, I I travel when I'm hunting with with somebody or with just by myself. I'm I'm traveling. I'm calling every ten fifteen minutes. I don't get shit where I'm at I've, or if what I've heard. I'm just calling and calling until I hear what I want to hear. And, uh, but, uh, I, I'll use the cow call, but it's not my preference. And I know it works very well for a lot of my friends and the guy that bought my outfitting business. He's the best caller I've ever heard. And, uh, uh, they, they do well with it, but I, I'm, I'm with the bugle. I want that bull to be ready and coming in on me or. Don't give a shit about anything else. Here, you want the fighter? That's what I hear. It you hear guys talk about it. <laughs> yeah. a lot of guys are either a lover yeah. or a fighter, the bugle or the cow call. So, yeah, and, and like I say, they both work. But I use the call more than all the stories you hear. And and so, but uh, yeah, uh, calling is my thing. Have, uh, and I like you... a double. I like a double reeded uh, 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 Quaker boy. Quaker boy, oh, that's my favorite. That's where it is. And and that was before they were making one for for elk. That was their turkey call. Oh, but okay. it's all the same thing, of course. But so labeled it different now. I know you've hunted um, outside of Colorado quite a bit. Uh, what are some of your favorite states uh, to go hunt? And maybe tell us a little bit about some of your uh, adventures outside of Colorado. Well, I guess my most exciting one was my one trip to Alaska. <clears throat> I went up there and took a coastal brown with my self bow. Oh, we got to hear that story. That was quite a story. I get, this is the one that gives me, I, I enjoy this story. Anyway, I, I sold my outfitting business to a fellow from Pagosa and his camp cook, Jim Marriott, who is 6'7", and I'm 5'5". Five five. We became good friends. Because yeah, I started working for the for uh, Ash Tully, the guy that bought my business, and and Jim 
is from Syracuse, New York, but he moved to Alaska as a young man in mine gold and in guided and different things. And uh, actually, in that uh, book about bear attacks, he's the first chapter. He'd been attacked when he had uh, some clients out, and he was by himself caping. But anyway, he lived through it. <clears throat> and we were at a, at a game show up in Denver, and he said, Jake, you ever want to go up there and shoot one of those grizzlies with your bow? I said, I used to, but I'm over it. I, I don't need to do it now. And, he said, and so that whole time he says, we ought to do it. He said, let's go. So I started. He, he doesn't do computers and different things, so I started researching outfitters and guides and ended up with a, a handful uh, that, that we might go with. And my sister-in-law, who lives out on a place called Friday Harbor, you're probably close to you guys, off the coast of Washington there, she has a friend there that's a guide in Alaska. He's a fishing guide, she says. His name was uh, 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 Justin Johns. And uh, so, I, so I sent her all my packet of stuff. I says, ask Justin if he knows any of these, if he could recommend any of them. And, and she went to see him, and, and he said, well, how come he isn't hunting with me? And and she says, well, I thought you were a fishing guide. He says, I don't advertise that down here. He says, I'm a bear guide. So I did. I ended up going with Justin Johns. He'd take. He sent me a packet of stuff. He'd taken 15 bow hunters and 12 of them took bears. So that was pretty pretty high rated to me. So Jim and I booked our hunt and went in. And we were. I'm not going to tell you the the lakes where we were, but we were on the just in on the evolution chain and uh, uh camped on a on a large lake where the salmon would come up out of the out of the ocean and and uh come into those lakes and so one night Jim would hunt on the lake they were hunting along the shore of the lake and along the shore of the river so one night one of us would be on the river the other night the other one would be on the lake and it was my turn it was the fourth night we'd seen bears uh but nothing I wanted to shoot and uh, the fourth night, uh, uh, Aaron, my guide, oh, i got to start this over a little bit. What happened was in the, in the interim of my research of finding out bear guides and what, you know, what it's all about, they let me know that uh, they'll let you shoot your bear, but the second shot comes from the guide. And I'm going, uh-uh, no, no, I can't have that. I ain't, I ain't going to pay you know, thousands of dollars to go up there and have somebody shoot my bear. So I talked to Justin about it, and and uh, he said, well, i tell you what, I'll talk to my guides, and I think they'll work with you. So uh, we flew in uh, to the camp, uh, two guides, and so they come over to me and says, oh, so you're Jake. And I said, yes, sir. Well, I'll tell you what, Jake, we're not going to shoot your bear unless you foul hit him or he turns and runs on us. And I'm going to, I can't say anything about that. I'm, you, you know, that's, that's, that's great. So anyway, back to the fourth night. Uh, a big boar comes out of a, a, a beaver slough and whaps into the river down below us and grabs a salmon. And Aaron says, there's your bear. I wanted a nine-footer or better. He says, that one, that one will go over nine feet. I said, well, let's go. So we hurried down river. We had to slip by a sow and a couple cubs to get down in there. And uh, uh, 
the river is it just solid alders either side, so you don't have a lot of access to the river. And uh, but Aaron knew where there was a couple beaver slides that opened up to the river, and we got there, and we d- we weren't even sure if he was coming down river, but that's the way he was starting when he came. So we got there and waited, and sure enough, he was coming down river, and uh, and it's late in the evening uh, when when we're doing this, there was no berries or anything like that because of a of a late frost. So the bears weren't weren't out where you could find them through the day. So we didn't even hunt during the day. I, I always said, this is the most boring hunt I've ever been on in my life. You sit in camp all day and then go out in the evening and hunt. But anyway, we we got down there and uh, realized the bear was coming down river and he was on our side. And he, and he, he steps out. Aaron's on a, a hump in between me of I'm in a beaver slide and there's a beaver slide on the other side of Aaron and it's the only hole out of the river. And and Aaron's sitting on that hump in the middle with his three thirty or three seventy five ultra mag uh pointed where the bear might come. So uh the bear steps out in front of me about five yards. But I, I there's a there's a little bit of alder right there and I can't shoot. So I'm just waiting for him to walk by. Well, he doesn't. He starts angling away. There's a sandbar. He works out on that sandbar. He's looking for salmon, of course. And I wasn't going to take anything, you know, a long shot on one of those guys. But he 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 started rolling out ang- real hard angle to me. I mean, he was almost butt to me. And I so I said, piss on it. I'm going for him. And at 20 yards, I rolled out, and I shot, and I hit him right in the flank. And the arrow disappeared, and the bear didn't even change stride. He just took three or four more steps, and he reared up in the air and roared and turned around and came running straight at us. And I went, oh, shit, he's going to shoot my bear. And Aaron stood up with his 375 Ultra Mag perpendicular to the bear and went, hey, hey, hey. And the bear just went right around us and up that beaver slide on the right-hand side of us. And Aaron said, he said, I know the bear wasn't going to come for us. He was just trying to get off the river. So I really lucked out and got one super guide and went one hell of a bear hunt. But wow. Anyway, we, <laughs> we, we they don't go after the bear uh, in, in, you know, it, it late like that. So we let him go, and the next morning we went and found him, and I, it had, it had, it had gotten up through the liver and up into the uh, uh, left lung. What was uh, your but he still went about three. What's that? What was your bow set up? Like how much? Weight well, it was a self, it's a self bow, about sixty-five pounds. Osage. Uh, Osage. And I was shooting a cedar arrow. With a Stoss broadhead, was what I was carrying, and I was only carrying two broadheads because they, they said you're not going to get two shots. Don't worry about it. So I carried two broadheads. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, while we we're running down towards the bear or down to get below the bear, I had dipped my broadheads in in uh, plastic cover so that they wouldn't, you know, so moist up there. I didn't want them to start losing a razor edge, and I was peeling that off with my teeth as we're running down through the brush trying to get down to 
where we might get in front of the bear. And Aaron kind of thought that was pretty stupid too. <laughs> do you hunt with a uh, bow mounted quiver or a back quiver I, I or do. cat quiver? I do. I, I use a bow mounted. I use a four arrow quiver and I usually like if I'm hunting around here, uh, I usually carry three broadheads and a blunt. Like on my goat hunt, I put two in the goat, so I would have only had one left, but I uh, didn't need it. But uh, that's the way I hunt. Uh, and and how, long, how long have you been uh, hunting with just the self bow? Well, it, it, I, you know, I couldn't tell you exact date, but it's been 10, 12 years. I, I was, the, the Colorado Traditional Bowhunter Society had uh, uh, Connie and Gary, who you know very well and have interviewed, come to one of our banquets. And I knew Gary and Connie, and I'd talked to them a lot. But, you know, uh, they're into the self-bow. And, and so Connie built one for herself, and they did a, 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 you know, a, a slideshow on it and talked about it. And, at, and, and I'd been wanting to do this for a long time. I talked and talked and and after that night, I went over and says, "God, I got to get into that. What what do I do?" And so I didn't get very many days of being home. And here comes a piece of wood. Uh, Gary had wrapped up a piece of wood and sent it to me. So I made my first one there, and it turned out too light. It didn't make a bow. But I started hunting wood in Texas that winter, and got some wood and got some bows made, and uh, took my whitetail that next fall. And, a, and an elk to start my eight. And uh, it turns out the whitetail was quite a whitetail, but he broke off. He was 22 inches main beam and 23 inch spread. But he was only a four before, and he broke off his, his uh, 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 three and four, or broke his front off. Are you uh, tree stand hunting the whitetails? Uh, yeah. In yeah, the late season? Yeah. 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 Are you hunting them? And, and, uh, and, and rattling and, and grunting, but from a tree stand. Mm-hmm. I've taken a whitetail or two from the ground, but not many. And uh, do you hunt whitetail uh, yearly? In Texas, I have been. Uh, I'm on a I'm on a lease down there. I, I don't have to pay for it. I'm I'm the worker. Uh, <laughs> they 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 have me, so I can go down there and keep things going and stuff like that. And I just got back from there a week or two ago, and I I don't know how many bucks I rattled in, but nothing. They they prefer we only shoot, you know, they've got a you know a 150 or better kind of a buck, and there really isn't many in there like that. Uh, you know, I passed up a lot of nice four befores and that, but they were sure vulnerable to the rattle. I yeah, I was rattling in all kinds of deer. So it was right at the part of the rut that. It was pretty active, but I took a few hogs and brought them home. Have you had luck uh, rattling uh, whitetails in Colorado? Yeah, uh, that one, that that one, the first one I killed with my self bow. Ah, no, I did not rattle him. I grunted him, and that was a that was a wild story. I did a I, I did something I shouldn't have, but I was out Bonnie Reservoir, and there's an area that they block off is safety zone for the deer. And I was hunting outside of it, and there was a giant buck in there, and I could see him, and I was grunting and grunting, 
I was sitting in some Russian olive trees, and pretty soon this other buck comes out of there right over to me, and he's coming right at me, and he's going to come right under me. He's going to win me and be gone. And so I, I, I let out a kind of a yip like a coyote or something just to stop him, and he did. He stopped, and he kind of went, he sidled to me. And I went ahead and took him. And that buck, I've never seen one do it. It was a lot of open between him and that free ground. And he ran out there, and he got on his side and just spun around and round and round, digging in the dirt, spinning. And he got up and run away, and he'd do that again, he just on his side, just spinning. And I'm going, God, you know, maybe they've done, maybe some we've hit have done that. We just don't see it because we're in timber. And he finally went into the free zone. And uh, the next morning, I went to the manager of, of of the Bonnie Reservoir, and he says, "Well, let's go, let's go." And we went in there, and he wasn't a hundred yards in there, laid in the river, dead. Huh. Arrow still sticking out of him. But yeah, I, I don't like know. He's trying to shake something off or something. Yeah, he was, you know, I probably picked up liver, and that really hurts. Yeah. I've hit elk in the liver, and they just walk over there and just moan and groan and cry. Yeah. Uh, it's probably what it is, is that liver. Uh, it just hurts so damn bad. But, yeah, yeah I, know, really I know I've shot a few out of a tree stand and, that are, like, right under me, and I don't know uh-huh. if it's the... They think a cat's jumping on their back. That was always kind of my theory. But, man, when I've hit those ones just, like, straight down on them, they, yeah. lo- they lose their mind. i never seen anything like it. I mean, <laughs> it, I had one. I was It was this little trail, and the rhododendrons were so thick. Like, you couldn't even walk through them on both sides. Yeah. And he took off through that stuff, and he only went about 80 yards. And I could hear him the whole way. He did a big loop around my tree, and I just heard crash, crashing. And yeah. it, was right, it was right at dark, and it was really cold, so I waited till the next morning. I had my old man come up there with me to help me. And it took us like two hours to find him. It was that thick. And I knew right where he'd went. <laughs> and we finally just, sure. I finally just walked right on top of him. I mean, it was crazy, but that's yeah. that was always my theory. And trying to shake Well, it, it's head. a good theory. I, I think they're doing that more than we know because we do hear a lot of racket when they're out there after you've hit one. You know, you don't know what they're doing. But uh, yeah. so, tell us a little bit about how you, uh, you know, are do you shoot split finger? Uh, do you obviously? I'm, I'm assuming you're uh, shooting purely instinctive. Um, has the way you approach and shoot the bow changed over the years? I, I guess not. Uh, I've always said I shoot instinctive, but this old fellow I started the story with Dick Lehman and got us all started. You know, even in older days, I'd still shoot with him and, and talk to him a lot. And he says, "Jake, you're not shooting instinctive. You're shooting. You're shooting point of uh, gap. You're shooting gap. You just don't know it." And I so and you know, and he's he's an old bowman. He he knows, you know. And so I think our instinctive is probably more gap. I don't notice it so much, but now that I'm shooting self bows, where you just don't have a center shot type thing i really have to look at my arrow to to make it go where i want it or else i'll be shooting left you know so and so that that kind of gets you back into the to the gap thing 
but I got to tell you a little bit of story about the instinctive thing. I, you know, you, you, instinctive, you, you, you look at what, you know, you look where you're going to hit and you shoot. And I did get a shot at a ram uh, on my sheep hunt. It was about a 170 class. It was a little far, it was about 50 yards, but the last one I took was 45 yards. And they, they knew I was there, and they were starting to go, and I was kind of sizing up which way they would go. I was thinking, they're going to go right. I mean, he's pointed left, but I'm thinking, because the others are, I can tell, they're going to go right. And I drew up and shot, and I shot to the right of him, because I was thinking that. Exactly. My arrow carried perfectly and went right past his ass. I went, oh, shit. <laughs> so that made him go left. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, you end up at those altitudes and the stress on seventy-three-year-old body. I just wasn't thinking as clear. I guess I should have had him. Has your range? Does your range change? You know, your self-bow range as far as you know, changing from a fiberglass bow. You should still feel comfortable to the same distance. I shoot them as as well, yeah. and that's kind of my thing. I like to show people that you don't have to have all that other stuff. These things work, and they work well. I shoot through things all the time, yeah. and but I prefer ten, fifteen yards. But uh, like that ram, you know, that's that was the chance I had, and I took it. Uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't do that if I knew there was another chance. That, uh, you know, a closer shot. I, I per, much prefer to be closer because there's just there's not much forgiveness in the self bow like there is a center shot bow because the spine makes a lot of difference in that parabolic action of that arrow coming out of the off the rest. Yeah. And uh, yeah. if you haven't shot them all, and you probably haven't, you know, you made some a bunch of arrows up, and uh, and for me, I'm just not that fine of a tuner of, of of shooting anyway yeah. uh, i can't tell the difference between a tapered and a parallel when i'm shooting it for accuracy or whatever but yeah, uh me neither so but uh yeah yeah we were just having that discussion earlier about self bows you know we have a buddy carson yeah. who builds them and mm-hmm. he can shoot good i mean it's a and yeah. you know right there with us so we both tinkered built a few of them here and there but we're always talking. Yeah, just yeah. It's, it's, it's a little talking. Well, you gotta point. want it. You gotta want it like I did. You know, you just gotta want it. And then the thing was, I was kind of old age in archery and had done just about everything that I could do or need to do, and it just opened up a whole new world of archery for me. I just yeah. so excited yeah. about it now. And I, oh my God, I've got bows I'm working on all the time. <laughs> I can I can relate to that just. When I switched, yeah. when I switched to wood arrows, it was like a whole new level yeah. of excitement. I felt like I had just switched to traditional archery all over again. Um, yeah. and so I, I think the self bow is definitely knocking at the door. We, me and Bob are, like I said, there's a lot of talk, but yeah. I think that, like you said, it, it is a, a whole nother world. And maybe I'm just kind of waiting for the kids to get grown and, and whatnot, where I have more time for that for that whole nother world, but it's definitely uh, knocking on the door for sure. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's something you built, and you're just dying to see how it works on an animal. You just, I just want to get an arrow and an animal with it, and so it, it just drives you. 
Yeah, another nice so. thing, too, is it doesn't really cost any money. You can go out in the woods and chop down a tree, and then you can carve it into a bow. Like, it's, yeah, that, that's the addicting part. I, I've uh, I've got a bunch of pieces cut <laughs> that I started, uh-huh. and I haven't finished much, many of them, but uh, I'll get there. Uh, Bob's got some you uh, nice. Have the dive, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, Bob's yeah, sitting on some nice you wood staves. Oh man, I got to come see you guys. <laughs> I I want a piece of you wood so bad, and I my my sister in law lives out there on on uh, uh, Friday Harbor, and uh, I need to go out and poach me one or whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so so someday maybe. But hey, I'm I'm satisfied with my you or my uh, Osage. It's really a good. It you know it's not like ash. It's like it's like you. You've got to keep track of where you are in the back of the bow, you know. And uh, where, you know, ash or hickory, not ash so much, but hickory is what I was trying to think of. You know, you can cross green or whatever and it'll still hold. But, uh, and I've you... had a lot of them break. <laughs> I bet. That's yeah. that's the one yeah. thing I was talking to Jim. That's the one thing that worries <laughs> me. I like, I like the, uh, fiberglass advantage of not having to worry about a break um so yeah. do you do you build a new one every winter or do you you know have you killed numerous well, animals with the same bow or well i've usually got like i said i've got bows but yeah i've got i mean there's staves all over my shop i mean i've got them i i, I what i do is i cut the stuff green naturally and i i i wedge out pieces and i shape those pieces into almost a bow and then I make a call, and I think I was talking to—is uh, it Dan uh, or Stan uh, or one of you? I was talking to. So that's what your friend's doing too. He's shaping his bow while it's wet, green with heat, and gluing and uh, clamping it down to the shape. Like I, I have some uh, full width two by eight, and I'll cut. Like if I want to curve a recurve or a reflex, deflex, or whatever, I put it in that call. And then I put the bow on it, clamp it to it while I'm heating it with just a heat gun. And you heat that up, it gets rubbery. Uh, yeah. And you can you can shape it. And then let it set for a year, and when you take it off, that's what you got. That's awesome. And uh, so that's what I, I do anymore. I started out just, you know, taking a, a, a stave and, and whittling out a straight bow, and you know they usually follow the string pretty hard, and it's all part of it. That's okay, but I kind of like the. I've kind of grown into doing fancier things, you know, recurves and and that kind of stuff. Do you put a? Uh, but anyway, like a... the the thing you were asking me about is whether I'm got like this year. I started out knowing I was going to get an antelope tag, and I was going to sit on a water hole. I never get a chance to do that. So I built me a couple 60-inch bows for sitting in a blind. Or I was working on them all summer. Then this 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 goat tag pops up. I'd rather be shooting 64 or something like that. You just have a little more ease of, of, of shot and all. But uh, so, I, but I've got these two 60-inchers, and then one I'm just I just loving it. Uh, the one I put a snake hide on one of them. And the other one I just kept completely clean, and, and that's the one I did all my hunting with. But I was shooting so good with it, I said, shit, I ain't got to worry about another bow. I'm going to use this one, and I did. But uh, 
Yeah, I usually, I don't, you know, plan on having a new bow every year or anything, but I surely could. The last great one I had broke on me in Texas two years ago, and it was a 64-inch kind of reflex deflex, and uh, I was just getting ready to go out and sit in the blind or the tree stand, and I was practicing my evening, and the upper limb just splintered. <laughs> but I had another bow. I mean, I had no. I always always have an extra bow. Now you said the last great one. Why was it? Why was it the last it great was, one? For some reason, for me anyway, and and some of my friends that I that I that I work with them too now, they feel the same way. There's just something about one of them. It's it's the wood or whatever, or maybe the way you've shaped it. I don't know, but it just shoots better. Uh, our buddy Carson, he still he builds yeah. so many of them, and they are so nice. Yeah. But when you talk to him, yeah. he's still trying to build that first great one. There you go. What this like me? I always say <laughs> I want to find that perfect piece of wood. I'm always looking for that perfect piece of wood because you're you're making bows around flaws, you know. And uh, I know there's a perfect piece out there somewhere. Well, I'll tell you this year <laughs> I was we went back to the Compton rendezvous and. I guess like anything, oh, cool. you, you just, like you said, you get to a point where you're like, well, what's next? And, you know, I yeah. started out with a compound, and then I went to the, the recurves and stuff. And every bow when I first started was just like, I, you know, you drool over every bow. Like, oh, wow, look at that one. Look oh, yeah. I believe, I, I don't mean to cut in, but if no, I forget, no. I used to sleep with my new bow. Yeah, yeah, I oh, do. Yeah. I do. My wife gets pissed. <laughs> my wife is always like, uh, let me guess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my, my wife, wife was in bed too, but yeah. when Pete would build me a new bow, it was in bed. Yeah, my, my wife is like, uh, "You're taking this new bow to bed with you, aren't you?" And I'm like, "I, when I get a new bow, I just want to look at it and hold it for like two weeks." Yeah, yeah. but yeah. but you know, like you get to a point where I'm, they kind of—I mean, they're still beautiful, but but like yeah. where I was going was we were at Compton and. And there's just thousands of people, you know, rocking by. We're BSing, telling out the stories. And, and then somebody yeah. would come by with a self-boat, and you'd be like, whoa, let me see that thing. I mean, it's just it's just that much different, you know. Everyone's kind of yeah. like a, it's a work of art. And Yeah. When, when I was hunting with a compound, and I would run across, uh, you know, a guy like, I don't know, Chris Tipton or some, somebody that had a, yeah. I took in an animal with a stick bow and I saw a picture of that stick bow, that recurve laying against the animal. I, it did something to me that maybe it doesn't do to everybody. Like I was drawn to that. I was like, Oh my gosh, that is, I'm not worthy. That is so much cooler. And now that I hunt with a longbow, whenever, like Bob said, now it's like, it's all so awesome, but whenever I see a self-bow guy, I'm like, okay, that's next-level shit right there. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Well, I hope I don't make you feel that way. <laughs> oh. Well, I still got time we are, left. I'm, we are in I, fear, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> we, got, we got lots you of know, time that's, that's, Yeah, that's what gets me. You know, there are really good bow hunters that are compound shooters. And then there's those that the only reason they're doing it is because they got to kill something, you know? And yeah. that's what I see in the compounders more than, yeah. It's, you know, they just, they have to, you know, they it's just, it's just, that's, they don't have enough, uh, you know, enough assurance of them, of their own ability and they got to kill something. So they got to use whatever it takes. And yeah. 
And I that, always, and you guys, I know you guys have, have heard the same thing or get in the same situation I get. I go to these, you know, the banquets and things, and first thing, somebody comes over and is trying to tell me why they shoot that. And I don't even want to hear it. They don't have to prove it to me. Prove it to yourself. Yeah. You know? Exactly right. Uh, you know, they, they, it's the first thing. They think I'm going to be against it, you know, so they come to me and try and tell me, well, this my shoulder, my ass, my big toe, my my well, finger, whatever. Yeah, that's because like, I don't they, give a shit. they. That's because they know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they know. They know. Yeah, they know. Yeah. Yeah, they, they know. Yeah. That's for sure. And and I think that's what I tell guys. Like, if you can go out and hunt the whole season and feel fine with not getting anything, then yeah. stick bow hunting might be for you. But if you feel like you have to stroke your ego or you have to have a picture to put on Facebook and eh, might not be for you. Yeah. Well, and that's where I'm at. I've, I'm trying to teach some people and I've even got some young people really going good is, is you don't have to have all that to be that good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's easy and, and uh, it's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. For sure. So, uh, we do it. back to the self bows. Do you have a Boyer's bench you use at home? Like, I'm just getting my stuff set. Yeah, up the I have. I, I had a friend from uh, Maryland, uh, Bob Bart Bur- Burlhart, Bur- Burlhart, and he's somebody you ought to talk to. He's a good guy. But anyway, he he he's built self bows and part of the traditional people in the Eastern United States. And he sent me a picture of his, and and I built mine off of that, and uh, uh, that, that's what I use. is a, It's a it's a bench, nice. and I don't know what our, to call it except for a stave bench. Our buddy uses this. It's like a chair you sit in, and then it's got like mm-hmm. a pedal that locks the stave in with like these, these rubber clamps and you can sit there and move your stave around and slide it in and out of this clamp and carve towards you. It's, it's a pretty trick system. Yeah, they're called, that's what they are is boyers. I think they call them boyers benches. And there's all kinds of, huh. uh, um, yeah. Online, you know, you can look up anything now and all kinds yeah, of little, little ways to do it. Cause but, my, yeah. mine always flips and I'm always having to wedge another piece in or something or just change you know, uh, different things, but it works for sure. That's awesome. But, uh, and what about arrows? Have you been a cedar guy for a long time? Have you tried other yeah, uh, materials? Yeah, you know, I, I went ahead, you know, it's, it, it, just like they say, if Sitka, it smelt like cedar, we'd be shooting Sitka. Right. Uh, but, you know, back when they were trying to develop, you know, uh, the wood, which, which would make the best arrow? Cedar's fine, that's for sure, but sick is a better arrow. But I, I, I have had some Sitka, and uh, I shoot them up just like I do my cedar, so I don't worry about it. You know, I like the Doug fir. That's uh, what we it, shoot. We shoot Doug fir. Yeah, yeah, I just did up a two two dozen of them for my Texas hunting, and I'm damn near out of them already. But, uh, mm, yeah. The guy that shoots some arrows. Like, like, I like it. Yeah, yeah I... <laughs> I shoot coons and everything, but uh, when I shoot an arrow, it's pretty much gone. <laughs> and I even do that with. Like, 
I, I like to practice at distance because I think it makes you better up close. Yeah. And so I lose a lot of arrows that way because <laughs> I'm not real good at distance. Yeah. I'm still wondering if your old neighbor knew that you were uh, scavenging yeah. his old arrows or if he was just donating them your way. He might, I'm sure he knew about me, you know, we, we were you know, just a hundred yards apart. I was up, up, lived on a hill above him and then down there. Wayne Crawford was his name. So cool. His dad was the only person that ever killed a lion in our country back then. But, uh, so what kind of advice do you have for the, the new guy? Uh, maybe a young man or an older man that's wanting to, uh, get into this world, traditional bow hunting. Well, I, I sure wouldn't put a, a, a you know, I, I, I won't be able to think of the right word now. I've lost it. But anyway, you're going to have to put your time in. That's what you got to know first. I mean, you can't be shooting once a month. You know, you got to shoot every day. And uh, it, and a first-time hunter, whether he's shooting a compound or not, he's not going to be the greatest animal hunter anyway. He's got to learn that. So what you got to start out with is being able to hit one once you get a chance. And uh, practice is it. It's definitely the practice. Yeah, and I, and I think what makes it tough for the younger guys is the social media and the strive for instant gratification. Um, yeah. And I think that it's making it tougher. And it, that's kind of like why we do the podcast is we just want to really promote traditional bow hunting. Um, and let uh, guys out there who are hunting uh, with other uh, means that there is a, another option that is more primitive and it has a really good feel to it. I, I mean, I go yeah. by feel and everything about uh, hunting with a stick bow, it just feels right and feels good. Well, and that's a good thing to say. And that's something I need to keep in mind when I'm talking to that's, that that's, that's a good way to, to explain it, part of it. You know, because right. it is totally a feel. If you don't feel good, why the hell are you there? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> but can you imagine a person out there taking a dump with his compound beside him and this big buck comes walking by? He don't get a shot at that thing. You or I might. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <that's> great. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So what's uh, grabbing that thing, get it pointed the right directions, uh, takes much more movement than picking up a bow and slipping an arrow on it. So what's, uh, what's, what, what do you got to look forward to next year? Uh, as far as, uh, hunting and bows and what, well, uh, what I'm do you have? My nephew, my nephew and I are going down to Kaibab, uh, in January nice. and hunt mules. He wants to take a mule there. He's, he's shooting a compound. I started him with a longbow. And he started in the oil fields over here by Grand Junction, and those and started going to bow shops, and they shit him into a compound. And he's becoming a good hunter. He took an elk and an antelope this past year, and an elk the year before, and so he'll 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 go back. He, but uh, he's compounding right now, and uh, but anyway, I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm I'm glad that no. I started that way yeah. because I don't. Yeah. Have to wonder what that's all about. I've been there and did it, and and uh, so go. I mean I think it's a great place for 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 people to start yeah. for sure. For sure. 
and uh but uh yeah we're going to go down and hunt the kaibab uh i've never hunted it i've hunted you know the coos and mule deer around in arizona but i've never hunted up on the northern rim of the grand canyon and they got a 28 percent success rate down there for archers in january wow so it must be good yeah, yeah. i've never yeah. been there Anytime you get close to that 30%, every hunt I've been on where it's been 30% yeah. or better, it's been like, wow, that, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> I think you're at least going to see some deer. Yeah. Yeah. Is that you know, a general yeah. over-the-counter hunt? or did you It is. Okay. It is. It's over-the-counter in January. Actually, the way Arizona done it, I haven't done it for a few years, but the last time I hunted it, if you didn't fill up with your January tag, you could hunt December and then buy another tag and hunt January. So yeah. you could go down there like the end of December and hunt and then get another tag. And I mean, you could actually kill two deer. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if they still do that or not. But. And you've, you know. you've hunted Arizona. I've seen some of you online were uh, with some critters from Arizona. So you hunted Arizona quite a few times uh, over the years, right? Yeah. And. Let me butt in just a second. I, I'd ask a favor. If you guys know anybody that knows anything about the Kaibab, I'd like to talk to somebody. But go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was just alluding to I'd seen that you'd, ki- you'd killed a, a nice mule deer buck in Arizona before. Um, yeah, was I that a, or an early hunt? Or? It was a, a, a January. It was, January. We'd go down there. We would apply for the, for the javelina tags. Yeah. We hunted them every, every year. And I always got a deer tag too, and uh, I lucked out and have taken a few nice. I, I I never took a coos in those time frame. I, the only time I've taken coos deer is if I went down to just hunt coos. Yeah. And not worry about the pigs and all. But, those uh, little javelinas eat any good? They're not very good. <laughs> we, we we insist that we eat what we kill. And so we would bring it home and make green jelly and stuff like that out of it. Okay. You know, my wife and I used to hunt. She she'd hunt too with me. And uh, so. Well, it sounds like you got yourself an angel. Yeah, she's kind of getting tired of of me for my hunting, but I I can't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a sickness. It could be worse. That's what I tell my wife all the time, right? It could be. It could be yeah. worse. Yeah. Worse. Really. Well, it's awesome you're still getting after it. I love that you're out there, you're doing P90X, building self-bows, hunting mountain goats and everything else. It's <laughs> it's definitely an inspiration for sure. Yeah, super yeah. cool. We really appreciate uh, this conversation we had. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Far out. Well, uh, I, I didn't know how it would turn out, so I hope it turned out well. So, uh, Thanks again to the listeners. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever your favorite podcast is found. We want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Check us out on Instagram. We will be doing some more giveaways. we got some good ones coming up. And always, keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot. Shoot straight.